As I said, we're going to talk about the stars, um, specifically the study of the gospel in the stars. How would one approach it? There's uh, not that much information on it. Basically, Bollinger, Seiss, S-E-I-S-S, and uh, who they got it from, uh, Rawlings, uh, a woman named Rawlings who... Uh, did some work on what's called the Maseroth. It's what she called the Kirk. And the Maseroth will find in Job, where it's got to do with the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Uh, before we begin, though, I'm going to go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for these people, for your greatness. Yours is the glory, Lord. We come to you. Because we need you in our lives for all things that we do. And we pray that you'll uh, use this word this morning that we might uh, get to know you just a little bit better. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Barney did this lesson. This goes back some 40, over 40 years. Um, I'm going to say it's of 1978. And uh, he actually spent one week on each of the signs of the Zodiac. So that was 12 weeks right there. I think there was a couple other lessons. He was around 27 or 28 at the time. So, and it was one of those events where it was pretty exciting, actually. Each week you came up with something new. It was pretty nice. Uh, and... Uh, you know, it's one of those things, uh, I'll, I'll say this about the stars. I, I studied it quite a bit. I'd say six or seven years ago I bought an eight-inch telescope and I wanted to know the constellations and different things. It's one of those things that uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. There's no many, so so many star names and things, you got to stay on top of it. But uh, I've, I've got some of it here. I've got a few star names. That's basically what we're doing is studying the names of the stars. That's actually all we've got. We're hoping to, to recover what what was originally written. So uh, to start with, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25. Let's see here. I've got so many... Got so many stickies on my page here. I got to sort those out. Okay, so Isaiah forty. Let's see, twenty-five. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast, there not, hast thou not known, hast there not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young shall utterly fall. Now, I read all the way in through 30 because it reminds me of that song. It says, here we have a God who's big enough to rule the universe, but he's small enough to dwell within our hearts. Forget the name of that song, but I'm pretty sure most of you have heard that. But but, but here we talk about all of his greatness and his majesty, and and yet he finds delight in, in us. How, how, how that, how that is possible is amazing. But in verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as, as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Now also in Psalms 147, 
147, verse 4. This is a verse that, uh, this is a verse that Jan McWilliams has memorized. I'll tell you how I know that in a second here. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down in the ground. So in verse 4, we see two things here. Number one, he numbers them. So if a, if a star burns out, he'll, he'll say, well, number one trillion, two billion, so and so on has just burned out. I mean, he knows every number and he knows every name. Each name has a significance with his work. And, uh, it's amazing if we could, if we had what was originally given to us down from Shem, Adam, Shem, Enoch, if we had what was originally given to us, uh, we would have a much more clear, uh, you know, picture of it. Well, one time I was talking to an architect who, uh, I, uh, you know, I work for architects mainly. So, and, and I'm, we're talking about the stars and I'm telling him these things, how many t- stars there are and so forth, because it, the number keeps getting bigger. The better our telescopes are, the, the bigger the number keeps getting. But, uh, but in, uh, 2016 they came up with two trillion galaxies that's visible from our planet. So, um, so I'm telling this guy this, and he says, well, I don't, I don't know. He said, if the Lord really, uh, you know, I don't think the Lord has time for little problems of people like me. And, and he really didn't, he wasn't, he's not saved and, uh, I still work for him. But, uh, anyway, I told Jan that story and she said, well, reading the verse, he telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. He can do that. With all of these billions of stars, surely he can also include you in his plans. So, um, so anyway, she quoted that, obviously, from memory. But let me go ahead and say a thing about, uh, in 2016, we had the Hubble telescope. And they what they do is they'll uh, put the scope on... Let's say uh, if you're a, on a football field, it's 100 yards. Here you are at, at the zero-yard line. At the 100-yard line, you zero in on a postage stamp, which is about one inch by one inch. That's the angle that the, you know, the angle that this Hubble telescope for a week shined on one little patch of the sky, of the heavens. And it was amazing. Because the longer you put the scope on it, the more light is collected. So all these lights, uh, you know, are built up. And, uh, and so, so yeah, they had to up their number. It was like, uh, it was quite a bit lower than that before they saw that. And in uh, January of this year, they launched a new telescope called the Webb, W-E-B-B, James Webb Telescope. And the first photographs were given to us in July. 11th, and they are much, much more crisp than the Hubble. It's amazing. It looks like, uh, you know, the, the the better the crispness, the less glare. You don't see much glare off of the stars. And it, it looks like you're even closer to the, if you had the same object. But in any case, this mirror has six times more surface area than the Hubble telescope. There's actually 18 hexagonal pieces that makes up the mirror. And uh, so that was all unfolded out there in space. It's infrared light, which humans can't see. But the, by computer modeling and different things, they come up with, with some uh, great scans and things with that. Um, now, 
there's a program. I don't know if you were interested or not. I'll just tell you. I downloaded this program for free some time ago. I don't know. I don't know if it's still free. That's the problem. But I'll tell you, it's spelled Stellar, S-T-E-L-L-A-R-I-U-M, Stellarium. And you wouldn't believe what you get for free on that thing. Uh, You can, it, it second by second tells you, I mean, it tracks every star down to the minutest detail. And you can go back in time and see what the sky looked like on a certain day and that kind of thing. But I, I just. Just wanted to throw that out. Now, uh, I've been to the uh, Lowell Observatory. I I have not been to the Lowell Observatory up there in Flagstaff. That's on what they call Mars Hill in Flagstaff. And uh, we've got several uh, great telescopes in Arizona. And uh, one of them is a Lowell telescope. And he just, Lowell discovered Pluto in 1930. Uh, I've never seen uh, I've never seen Pluto. I, I've got an eight-inch scope; it won't pull it in. But uh, I've seen Neptune and Uranus. Uh, you need about a 16-inch mirror to see Pluto. But uh, I'll say this about sightseeing: stars, stargazing. It's kind of like uh, sightseeing. The first time you see it, it's real exciting. Like I'd studied all these pictures of different constellations and things, and there's uh, double stars, many, many double stars. You wouldn't believe how many. How is it possible that they line up exact? But the bigger the scope, the, the, the tighter you can split. The tighter the two stars you can split. And uh, some of them turn out to be three stars and even four stars, all grouped in a line, and they may be, you know, trillions of miles apart just farther out is all. But you'd be surprised how many of those there are. And one estimate is as much as 25% of the stars. And uh, there, there's a message there, too. I'm sure the Lord has a message there if we knew what it was, you know. It, maybe it's a double emphasis or something, but... Uh, but the first time you see it, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, you keep looking at them, but it's, you know, it's kind of like sightseeing. But uh, let me just share something with you that, really, the first time I heard this, I couldn't believe it. Jupiter, the easiest thing in the sky to see, when it first starts getting dark at night, that's the first light you'll see is Jupiter. And you can actually zoom in on it and see the, the dimension. You can, it actually has width through a scope, through binoculars. Ten power scope will do this. You look at Jupiter, and uh, Galileo discovered four moons with a crummy little one-inch mirror. How he did it, I don't know, because because you need about seven, about ten power to do it, really. More The more, the better, but... Anyway, here's these four moons, Eo, Io, Callisto, uh, Ganymede, and um, what's the other one? Ganymede, and uh, I didn't write them down in front of me. It'll come to me in a second here, though. Uh, okay, the first moon, Eo, goes around Jupiter one time. The second moon, Callisto, goes around Two times, and then uh, I hope I'm not mixing them up. Either Callisto or Ganymede goes. Let's see. Let's see. Ganymede. Eo. Oh, Europa. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Eo, Europa, Callisto, Ganymede. Eo one. Uh, Europa two. Ganymede four. Now that's not approximate. That's exact. When the first moon goes around one time, the second moon goes around two times. Exact. Not approximately. Exact. Uh, the, the, you know, the Venus, for example, is closer to the sun than we are. It goes around the sun eight times when we go around the sun five times. How can this be? How can the Earth stay in its exact orbit around the sun? Eight, uh, 93 uh, million miles away. How is that possible? 
For that, I'm going to turn to Colossians, Colossians 1. Let me find it here. Again, I left out, again, I left out a sticky. Hold on. Colossians 1. And we're going to start in 13 and read through verse 18. Okay. My stubby fingers don't work too good on these pages. Okay. Colossians 1 and verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or things, were all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, or if you look at the note and that word there, it's, it's hold together. All things through Christ are held together, held in place. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So, um, so there's different theories. Oh, here's the gravity, here's the earth in a vacuum and it's going around this certain exact speed and we're just the exact right distance from the sun that it makes it stay just right in that per- perfect orbit. And, uh, some of the scientists go with that, not all. There's another theory that there's one guy wrote a book called The Electrical Universe, and that this one's more plausible because there's actually a force there that's holding it in place. But but if Christ took his hand off of it, all the stars would start drifting, all the planets, everything would start going in different directions. And uh, we, we'll see a verse like that, uh, you know, come when it comes near to the, um, the tribulation period that that's going to happen. The stars in heaven are just going to be going every direction, and that could be because the earth maybe the earth is off of its axis or something. But either way, it's what's going to look like to us as the sky is falling or something. Now let's go back to Genesis 37 and verse nine. And let's see, why did I pick this verse? Um, Genesis 37. Oh, the, yeah, let's go ahead and read verse 9. And uh says, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And in the note there, you'll see the 11 signs of the Zodiac. Uh, each of the 12 tribes of Israel has a, a different sign. This was discovered by the Rawlings, and then later uh, Bullinger and Sice commented on it and, you know, confirmed, yeah, that all this is true. Um, you know, when uh, Bullinger, and when he... If you look in the uh, Appendix 50, he he kind of just separated the suns about one year apart there at one stretch. And uh, I think if you actually went through the zodiac and put the month when each person could have been born, you might be able to draw that in more accurately, exactly what, you know, uh, which years, for example, they were born. But um, then in Numbers 2-2, Numbers 2-2 two, two says, I can't believe I've already left off three postits. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, I can't get that page apart. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch his own standard with the ends of their father's house far off about the tabernacle of this congregation shall they pitch. And uh, if you look at the note there, for instance, each standard is said to have had its own, had as its sign one of the twelve constellations depicted on it and so forth. So that gives you a little bit of uh, of understanding about, uh, you know, how the Lord uses the heavens somewhat. But then, uh, okay, now let's turn to Genesis 1-1. That's actually where you have to start the study of the stars, if you're going to do it chronologically. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So if you're a, if you're uh, you're a kid, maybe you're just gazing up at the sky. That's what heaven is to you when you look up at these skies. That that's what you think of as heaven. And uh, uh, or you might say the heavenly realm. But then when we get to Deuteronomy, now I know why I left these posts out. <laughs> Because I had a sheet I didn't see. Okay, Deuteronomy 10 and 14, it says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God, and the earth also with all that is therein, with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. So um, so here we see the heaven of heavens. So maybe you, you look at these stars, but you picture something out way past that, perhaps. Uh, okay, and that's, that, that's the understanding we had in the Old Testament of the heavens. It, but if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, there's five times in Ephesians where the uh, the phrase uh, the heavenlies, eperanius or uh, epi above uranos heaven above heavens, and it's been called the super heavens in different names. But you we you you come to understand that when that verse is put in Ephesians, it's got no other definition like it. It's, it's, it's redefined, this upper heavens, because it's actually used. Uh, Abraham looked for a city, and, and uh, you know, that, that phrase was actually used in a previous dispensation, but a different connotation on the word. But I'm going to, going to they're, they're pretty easy verses. I'm just, I mean, quick verses. I'm just going to read off five of them, because this is, this is, the thing about the constellations. There's nothing about the mystery written in the stars. And that's obvious if you read uh, the verses, uh, you know, the, uh, that this was, the mystery was hid in God. And, uh, let's see. Okay, verse, okay, let's go to 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the super heavens, in Christ. So, so this is not, you won't find this in the stars. Now just go ahead and read all five since we're here. Uh, 120. Which he brought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the super heavenlies, the upper heavens, the above heavens. 310, Ephesians 310, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I'm reading these verses because they're so so amazing, but let's see, then I missed 2-6, didn't I? 2-6, uh, 
hath raised us up together, made us sit together in the super heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And then finally, 612, I'll have, I'd like to have some time talking about a particular verse. And the, uh, the, the parentheses, cause, uh, according to Oscar, this reads, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood in the super heavens. And I think Mike did a study on that, saying that this, in fact, you can take the liberty of putting parentheses on it because there's actually of speech involved here. But uh, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood in, in high places, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual witness. So that's the point. The whole point there was... We'll never see anything in the heavenlies concerning that. Uh, but if you were Job, you would have, you would know the heaven. You, there's quite a bit he knew about the heavens. There's quite a few verses that Job went through. But uh, but in let's see, let's go back to Genesis chapter one and verse fourteen this time. That's where we started our study. Hold on here. And I see I'm I'm not going to get through this lesson. I can already tell you. I told you I could fit all this in one lesson, but it's a bit off more than I can shoot. But um, Genesis 1.14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to, to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years. So, these are signs of things to come. Let them be uh, for signs, and for seasons, and for days. These are things to come. Without without the, the story and the stars, uh, there really was no hope. What hope do you have? But no, we see a promise there. We see hope of a future life there in the stars. And uh, for many years, all the way up to about 1600 B.C., when Job started his writings, uh, you know, that, that's when the written word came. We have, we have two witnesses here. We have God's word in the sky, in the heavens, and we have God's word in the Bible, the written word. So that's two witnesses. And, and that's how he likes to confirm things. Uh, to, you know, he always has two witnesses on things like that. But let's keep reading here. And let them be for lights in the firm of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. What? He made the stars also. <laughs> That's a kind of a neat little little thing. Uh just flick my just snap my fingers and made the stars. That verse I think that there's a word there though. Bonnie went through this one time. In, in Genesis one one the word created is bara. 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 To create. But here's a different word. I think it occurs seven times, and it, it, I think it has the, the connotation of reformation, like reforming something that was already there. But uh, in any case, he—that's what he did. He put he put those stars in place. Now you might consider that that those stars were put there quite a bit a long time before Adam was born. Maybe that this is the fourth day. Maybe that was an eon, because it takes it takes so long for light to reach the earth. And uh, the the latest estimate they have on that is the world is fourteen. What is it? Billion fourteen? I think it's fourteen billion years old. They base that on the farthest star they found. Then how long the light took to get to the earth? They, that's what they base that on, but but for Adam to see all these things, it uh, it had to be a while before that light got there. Now, of course, God could have done it in 
and you know weekdays. One day could have been a weekday, but uh, you know I just he could have just all right. Let's put it all in motion as though it's been here 14 billion years or whatever. In any case, um, we, uh, you know the reason we redo this study is the awesome, is just the awesomeness of our Creator and uh, how He can uh, do these things and still. You know, and still take delight in his plans for the church and so forth. Now, let's go to Psalms chapter 19, and that this is probably as far as I'm going to get. Let me see, it's already, yes, yeah, getting on. So, Romans, uh, let's see, verse, uh, Psalms 19, and there's 14 verses in that psalm. And that's uh, quite a remarkable chapter. Now, before I read after that, I wish I'd had Chico do this scripture reading because uh, he could do more justice. His voice would uh, really do a good job on this chapter, and, that, and that's what it needs. But before I before I go to that, uh, in Romans in Romans ten, and I'm taking this out of Bullinger's. Uh, Gospel in the Stars, uh, beg your pardon, The Witness of the Stars, that's the name of Bollinger's book. Um, okay, so Romans 10, 17, and 18 says, So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And here's a verse quoted in uh, 19.4 of Psalms. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. So the, the word itself went, in, went everywhere. Everybody heard the word. Everybody knew it. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now let's compare that. Let's go back to uh, Psalms 19. It says in verse 4, Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. So what, what this does is ties together the written word and the, uh, the word that is written in the heavens. Those two are exact, the same. Uh, you know, that verse about faith come up by hearing and his mind going out through all the earth, all these things, all these things were known, a lot of things were known in the stars. Let's go back to verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament is setting forth that's in the note, his handiwork. Now, the first six verses here, the first six verses here talk about the stars, and starting in verse 7 through 14, it, you know, then it, it looks like it's switching subjects. But Bullinger goes on to explain how that this is all, all of these verses from 7 to 14 also pertain to the heavenlies. Verse 2, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The message, that is, that's contained in, in uh, the stars and, and all of the hope we have through them. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Now, here, here you can see a note. Tabernacle is tent or house. Hence, the signs of the zodiac are called the houses of the sun. Because in them he moves and dwells and completes his circuit. So, so we can see, we can see a lot of things hidden in some of these words. But that has to do with the houses of the sun. 
If if the Earth was uh, it wasn't on a twenty three degree angle and and we and it was perfectly north and south and we went around the sun like that, we wouldn't have any. Uh, you know, daylight would always be twelve hours and twelve hours, uh, like on the equator and and different places like that. But the fact that it's on an angle that makes it that makes it go through. Uh, Kind of a, a twist. The, if you look at the twelve signs of the zodiac, they pretty close follow the equator of the of the uh, planisphere or, or the you know the stellar sphere. But uh, but we can see that uh, it's called an ecliptic where this follows. So that so the sun goes through this ecliptic and that, and. One thing you can say about all of his creation here and all of these things, soon as, as soon as it happened, it didn't take long for man to start worshiping, and, and the sun is the biggest one of all. Sun, the sun worship is the biggest of all. But there, all of the planets and different things are used for, for people doing the worship. But the Catholic Church, for example, if you really uh, uh, search it back, that in fact is their who they worship the sun Ra the sun god the church in Rome that's pretty much what they worship. Uh, let's see. Then we're at uh, verse. Where am I? He set the tabernacle for the sun. Verse five, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven in a circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Now, let's see, here's the word converting is the word um, returning. As the sun returns... In the heavens, so here the same word is used of the sinner's conversion or returning. So there's a, there's going to be a lot of astronomical words, let's say, as we read verses 7 through uh, 14. If you go down a little bit on the notes, it says, Note that all the verbs in this second half are astronomical, as those in the first half are literary. Okay, then, uh, eight, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. All these things are true of the heavens, too. Everything is perfect in the heavens. Uh, it, it's shown and presented in a perfect manner. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is the servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So here we have the word keeping. He has the note observing or watching, as observers watch the heavenly bodies. And in verse 11, we saw a note, as the sun does in the heavens. It says, going about the scriptures, this is the word by them, verse 11. Moreover, by them, uh, going about the scriptures, moving and dwelling in the written word, as the sun does in the heavens, and so forth. Then we go on down, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servants also from presumptuous sins. Keep back his restraint or hold back as the motions of the heavenly bodies are controlled. They're, they're controlled right down to the minutest of the, uh, of the split second. And, uh, you know, that thing I told you about how, how can all of these things happen down to the split second like the four moons of, how can those moons be exact like that? But um, the fact is, uh, 
Let's see. That's that verse. It says, keep back. Hold that in play. It, it, he holds it in place. So he keeps it back and keeps it just at the right thing. But the, you, you think, well, maybe that's an exception to the rule. Here we have a few things like that that just happen to, you know, have some synch- synchronous uh, action in them like that. No, it's it's not the exception to the rule. It's the rule. God's universe, his whole universe is like that. It, it, it would baffle the mind if we really could could know the truth of it all. Let's see. Then, let's see. Keep back. Let them not have dominion over me. This is verse 13. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So, there's a few other things in the note there if we would go through it. But um, that that's one of the great chapters in the Bible, though. Uh, Psalms chapter 19, showing uh, here here's the greatness of our Creator and our Savior. Uh, he, he's both our Creator, and, and then He comes down to to love us. Um, let me see then. Okay, now, let me see if I have time to go to this next part here. 47, not really. Um, Tell you what I'm going to do. Let's turn to Appendix Chapter 12. I'm just going to give you a quick, quick insight, perhaps. Appendix Chapter 12, and... This is where I'll take up next time. Whenever whenever I'm up again, it might be a couple months, but in any case, um, here he calls it the stars also. And I was going to go through about all the way down to where you see down about the middle of the first paragraph there on page 15 of the appendices. He says, preserved by Josephus, Jewish tradition. Okay, let's start at the beginning of the paragraph. These names and all the 12 signs go back to the foundation of the world. Jewish tradition preserved by Josephus assures us that this Bible astronomy was invented by Adam, Seth, and Enos. So Adam walked with God. And God gave him these things. He told him the names of animals and so forth. And it's attributed to Seth to write them down. And uh, and and Adam, Seth, and Enoch are all contemporaneous. So they, for hundreds of years, they could have talked about these things. And as it goes on down towards the flood, I'm just going to give you a quick overall thing here. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna get into one star name, and that's all I'm gonna have time for. But, uh, let's see. Okay. So the flood came at 2347 BC. Now by that time, there was only one, uh, generation that was pure. That was Noah's, you know, all of, all of the seed line that came down through Noah. So, Shem had this information also. He was a hundred, about a hundred years old when the flood came. Shem had this information. He brought in Ham. I don't have time to go into the, to this, but Ham was just the opposite. Uh, you know, he, he was on the side that wanted to, uh, you know, take, take away everything that the Lord had done on the, on this uh, work and to uh, put their own take on it. And, and I'm going to uh, go back to one more verse. Let's go back to Genesis uh, chapter uh, man. That's chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And you'll see down here 
in verse, uh, where's it say Nimrod? <laughs> okay, in verse 23, no, where's it say Nimrod? Oh, amazing. Enoch, Muhammad, Jabal, Jubal, Zilla, Womack, Cain. Well, I can't see it. <laughs> oh, verse 10, 8, thank you. Thank you. That's, <laughs> I knew that. Verse 10, 8. Thank you very much. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began, he began to be a mighty in the earth. This was about the year, um, Nimrod is about the year 2185. So he's after the flood, but his, his great grandfather is Noah. Uh, that's Nimrod. So, so they, uh, there's a lot on that. If, uh, two Babylons has quite a bit on it. Um, Orion is Nimrod and there's, no end of, of things where Nimrod puts himself in, in the stars. But um, the fact is, as the, you know, as the truth kept being unfolded, Abraham got this knowledge after the flood. That was about 150 years Let's see. Well, he, you know, we, we divide the Old Testament around 2000 and 2000 on Abraham. So let's call him at 2000. So he came after Nimrod by a couple hundred years, 150 years. And it is said that Abraham taught the Babylonians or where he came out of, or of the Chaldees there. Those people there, although it had already been corrupted by Nimrod, Abraham did uh, Abraham was a master at astronomy. He looked, he, you know, that there's that one verse also that he 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 saw it from afar off. That's the heavenly Jerusalem. You know, that was his hope, the new Jerusalem, and he saw it from afar off. But he also taught. It is said uh, to the Egyptians, and, and there's history on there's ancient history on these, not only from Josephus. But then it came down to Job, 1600 B.C. Here he had he had to sift through, and, and you know, I'm sure he had the truth. He must have had the real versions. Now we're stuck with a lot of uh, shapes, and I'm going to give you one example, then I'm going to close. The the dog star Sirius. It's the brightest star in the sky. It is. It's called the dog star because it comes around the, the heat of the summer, right at the end. It, right now it's getting up into the sky. Uh, maybe by morning it's getting close to the, you know, to the zenith there. But uh, the word, I'm going to read you this one thing here, and but barely enough time maybe. But this is from Sice. I just want to read you something. Um Okay, I can't read this all, but let me narrow it down. There's a star called Sirius, and let's see. It's actually the word Seir, Seir Nas, Egyptian, Seir. This is from Egyptian. It actually means Nazarene. The word Nazarene actually comes from that star. Now, I don't have time to go through the proof of that, but uh, but I, I just want to remind you of this verse in the New Testament where, oh, let's see, I know I've got that one flagged. Let's see, Matthew, it's in Matthew, let's see if I've got it. No, that ain't it. Um, wow. Okay, here, here's the point. Um, here's the point. There's no place in the Old Testament where it says that 
he would come out of Nazareth. And there's a couple of verses there, and for some reason, let's see, oh, here it is. Matthew 2.23. Matthew 2.23. Okay. Matthew 2.23 is... And he came, okay, let's start in 22. And when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, this is Joseph. When he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. And it's in bold type. But there's no verse that you're going to find that exactly uses those words. So the argument is that uh, it was, in fact, written in the stars. And there's a couple other verses to go with this that I don't have time to go through. But but uh, but because later later uh, they were talking to uh, at the end, right near the crucifixion. He said, is any good thing come out of Galilee? And, of course, Nazareth was a part of Galilee. And, and Nicodemus said, Nicodemus did not have the answer. So uh, but so that's kind of a little bit of a taste of an overall view of the stars. And it's about all, all we have time for. But uh, there's so much, there's just so much to cover. And, uh, and there, there's a lot of gems. There's a lot of gems that, that uh, you know, really can, can enlighten our eyes that, that are written there. But with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, again, for your greatness and for uh, choosing us before the foundation of the world and that we might be holy and without blame before you in love, Lord. We pray that you'll use us as we go our separate ways and keep your hand on each one here. Bless them. We pray these things in your great name. Amen.